House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are at the interview part of the show. Uh, so joining us, we have uh, an author, of course, and uh, the book is called The Price of Safety, and the author is Michael C. Bland. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me on. So, Mr. Bland, um, The Price of Safety. Um, so this is your first book. How did you get into this uh, profession of writing books? I've always been drawn to stories and to um, entertaining. And it's just been something that it's really interesting. It kind of becomes a calling after a while, especially once, uh, at least for myself personally, once I get a story in my head, the darn thing will not shut up until I write it down. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I came up with, with this idea, and it really took me. Um, and I was kind of inspired by... Uh, when I lived in Chicago and, and taking the L, and everyone, of course, is on their cell phone. And I'm like, you know, I can walk around naked. Not that anyone wants to see that, but I can walk around naked, and no one would, <laughs> would be, you know, everyone would be oblivious. But at the same time, there are cameras on the ceiling, so someone could always be watching. So it was that interplay and that conflict that really kind of spurred the idea for the story. Well, that's interesting. So now this is kind of a sci-fi in the future, 2047. Um, Correct. So when we, when we, when, how did you get this idea? Like you said, it just comes to your mind. Okay, so the basic idea of you see everything, you know, we're all on camera, there's a lot of things being watched. But how do you get mm -hmm. into the details of the story, and how, do, how does this evolve? And the story really did evolve over time. But when I started to... You know, get this idea, I really wanted to focus on uh, a main character and his family. And the reason is because if you have this constant watching and, and taking where we are right now in terms of technology and, and, and that whole thing, and fast forwarding 30 years, what's it going to be like? And, and the way I kind of thought about it is, where were we 30 years ago? I mean, everyone, no one, almost no one had cell phones, if so, there were those ugly brick things. <laughs> um, the internet was just barely starting. I think beepers were more prevalent than, than a cell phone. And look where we've come in 30 years to where now on this little device that's about the size of a pack of cards, I can pull up anything on the internet. I can find where I am. I can do find my phone, see where other people are. I can order things and all these things that now we take for granted. Well, then what's going to be like 30 years in the future? And then the other thought with it is technology like anything it's a tool. Of course, you can use it for good or ill, right? So what if in this kind of world where everything then is so advanced, what if there's a scenario where you have to try to protect someone you love in that world, and how do you do that? Hmm. So, so that's what really drove the story. So are you, are you thinking that we're going to do something bad in the future because of our technology? What I'm thinking is there is a potential for danger. So the, so the theme of this kind of was at least just kind of a, a call, just you know, what, what price are we paying for the technology we have? And, and this, I'm as guilty as everybody else. Uh, you know, you get your, your iPhone or, or your um, Android, and 
immediately it has click here to you know agree to all of this legal jumble that you that, that you scroll and you scroll and who's going to really read every single line of it and mm-hmm. you're agreeing to allow them to do so many things and to track your track what you're doing and collect data and do all this stuff and right now that's kind of harmless and for the most part, it's okay. You you want to sell me shoes because you know I, I like to hike on the weekends. So you're going to show ads for hiking shoes. Okay, well that's harmless right now. But again, what has magnified that technology over the next thirty years? And I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm saying that like anything, there is a chance that it could. So and trust me, I I'm not one to preach. I I hate being preached to. I'm not trying to preach on to it. I was trying to throw a world out there that. If we aren't just aware and in, engaged with what the technology is and what's out there and, and what we're giving up in exchange, it could end up in a scenario like this, in a world like this. And also, doesn't technology in many ways often bring out the worst in people first? Yeah, like, it, that's a very good point. And, and, and kind of like almost your, your basis instincts are where... You know, so much of the Internet now between pornography or chat boards where people are absolutely rude and ignorant in a way they never would be on the phone, let alone in person, face-to-face with someone. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. So how would that how that translate in the future? Mm-hmm. I just wonder if, um, but does that, you think that changes the whole um, community? I mean, because, you know, we're all basically inside, and you got people saying the nasty things to each other on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like you say, how they would never do that before, like in earlier times. Um, but mm-hmm. will that change the way people interact with each other in the future? Because if you're sitting there over a period of years, and your children learn to do that from the get-go, will they not be mm-hmm. kind of different? Uh, in public? Uh, I, I would say that I think that people have changed already as it is. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm, I'm uh, you know, of the age I grew up um, in the 80s and, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And where when I was a kid, you know, I would literally go out and play. I'd ride my bike and I'd be gone and uh, play with other kids in the neighborhood and, and until literally you hear, you know, the mom's boys yelling your name. Nowadays, that's that's not that doesn't happen. That's that's rare. I'm sure maybe in very small parts of the country, but the vast majority, kids don't do that. Instead, they they do the organized sports and they do you know other things and, and they um, you know are more online within the TikTok and the Insta and Snapchat and all that stuff. And those things have you know are different ways that they communicate. I'm not saying one way is good or one way is bad, but I do think there's already a change in the way that um, each generation is communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, too, uh, being that you're really old. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'm going to take the knife out of my back. Wow, that really... Oh. Uh, no, I was, just, uh, I was just wondering if... Uh, no, I'm even older than that. So if, if, but if we... But how we grew up, and now these advances that come along as we are older, um, we see the negative because we've learned how people are over the years that we've been alive. But I just wonder if a lot of that is just a paranoia that doesn't necessarily have to be. Because you look at um, back in the 60s when people were getting phones and color TV and and all the different things that were changing then, uh, a lot of people of the older generation 
thought that the uh, world was going to hell, you know, rock and roll music and Woodstock and and um, right. I, I just wonder if it's much the same. You know, what, what I, my personal belief is that people are both bad and good and there's going to be aspects of both. And that's one of the things that is both uh, beautiful and amazing yet frustrating. People can be both extremes, can be extremely generous and uh, use uh, social platforms to uh, talk about between you know the Black Lives Matter and, and you know various causes and issues that they have, and yet the uh, other extreme people can use it for harm. Whether it's uh, saying things that are inappropriate, uh, stalking people online, you know, so the whole gauntlet of it. And so I think there will be an element that will be worse, but I also think there will be an element that will still be you know a basic good person or good people. Hmm. So let's go over the basic premise of your story. So for the people that haven't read it yet, kind of um, give us a, a basic rundown. So The Price of Safety is set in a world where, as you may have already gathered from our uh, talking, is it's in a world where technology is so prevalent that no crime goes unsolved. And in that world, the main character, Drake Quintera, his 19-year-old daughter commits a crime. So he covers it up to save a life, and that starts down this rabbit hole where he discovers that nothing is as he thought it was. Hmm. Why didn't he just let her go to jail? <laughs> well, they, uh, one, short book. Uh, yeah, be very short book. And yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. But it's and this crime is, and she inadvertently does, um, it's actually a capital crime. So it's not just that she's going to get a slap on the wrist or have to clean up trash on the, on the side of the highway. It actually is a capital crime. Yeah. Well, you so know, uh, you save her life. So so when you have these characters, like you have Dre and then his 19-year-old daughter, the one we're talking about is Raven. So Raven, who, who do you get these two characters from? Does, is this people you've met in life or you've come across? or um, How do you draw to create these characters? You know, there are little elements, and I've seen a T-shirt uh, said, you know, be careful, I'll put you in my next novel, which I thought was a great T-shirt to have. Um, and I, so as, as most, most writers, I steal a little bits from here and there. So they are a conglomerate of, of different people. Um, one of the big things with Dre, not only the story itself as his role in it, um, but both my grandparents were engineers. Um, one... Um, built bombs during World War II. The other helped uh, build battleships in New York City Harbor. And I was very, always proud of them and amazed by their knowledge and abilities. And so Dre is a engineer in the story, which then plays directly into the story itself because he helped actually create the web interlinking of the camera systems because, of course, there are a hodgepodge of 100 different kind of camera systems in this country, and he helped connect them all together. So he helped create the world that he's now fighting against. Now, in the story... On, I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask you real quick. Yeah. In the story, the uh, capital crimes, I'm assuming that in the future the list of capital crimes has been greatly expanded. Is that a, a good guess? It, it has been expanded, and it's also directly related to some of the technology because they want to make sure that everybody in the country has a certain kind of technology that's uh, direct 
um, link. It, it plays a direct part in the stories, these implants. Everyone has a very small implant um, that you get when you're very young, and it's connected to uh, camera screens in your eyes. Mm. Uh, if you're familiar with um, like the old um, cataract surgery where they take out your lens and put a new lens in your eye, well, mm. this is a fake lens that's actually a computer screen. Okay. Sorry, I didn't so, mean to interrupt you there. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Um, but that's so she inadvertently rips out a graphic, but she rips out her boyfriend's um, implant, which is a capital crime. Mm, okay. And see that, so again, it, it plays into the technology, but then it's what does that technology do and, and why is it important? And that's part of the story. Mm. So what I when I wrote this, I created it, it's a mystery. It's it's a crime that's committed, and then it, he very finds himself not only in trying to help save his daughter, but finds himself he's actually in the middle of a mystery that he didn't realize. You know, I have those same lenses in my eyes, <laughs> so uh, they're watching me. And they're very convenient. Yeah, and they put a chip in my brain. They had lots of room to put it in. <laughs> wow. Um, it doesn't bother you. Yeah. No, I'm used to it. I just wonder now, so how, how do you develop a character in these as well? So you've got your character. Uh, so how how is it that you uh, implant? There's the word. How is it that you put, put these um, developments on the character? Because like as a reader, how do I know... Uh, what Raven is all about. Mm -hmm. It's definitely developing over time, and, and character and the story, they, they go hand in hand, and as I developed it, honestly, the story itself changed, and the main character changed as I was developing the story and figuring out what story I wanted to tell and how best that worked. Um, and with him being an engineer, it really... That, that was almost, that's like when a lot of things kind of clicked into place for him to have a level of knowledge that the average person would have, but also then how would they react? And, and for me, one of the biggest things is um, that what drives Dre, which is his family, protecting his family. Um, his daughters are, are his world, and so he does everything for them. And, and I thought that was important because, one, I thought that was very relatable. And oh, yeah. something that everybody would, yeah, regardless of what cool, te shiny technologies around and, and what kind of events are going on, that's the core of that character. And, like, I, I use the analogy of, you know, Star Wars. I love Star Wars, and there's some really cool stuff, and trust me, I'd still love to have a lightsaber any day now. But um, the thing is, if it wasn't for the characters, there'd be nothing just except some, you know, kind of odd movie with, you know, a big walking you know, guy in fur and all the stuff, you know, but so it's really, so characters are really important. And so I really want to make sure that this book had heart and had a main character that you could understand and root for. Wow. That's crazy. Where, so what are your influences on uh, writing? Like who, who do you read? Um, I read um, Pierce Brown. He did the Red Rising series. Mm -hmm. which is a fantastic series if you haven't read it um, <clears throat> excuse me also Michael Crichton he was a big uh, influence as well um, I love his ability to take um, science and technology and weave it into a story that's really interesting and so um, not only is it 
a unique way of telling a very stories, but you also kind of learn something in the process, which is, you know, kind of cool. Too bad school wasn't always like that, right? Um, you know, so that was another, another influence for this particular book. Um, 1984 did have a little bit of an influence as well. Um, but then I just, other than that, it's, I, I'm just a big, a big voracic, you know, voracious reader. Um, I've got Stephen King and, um, I've got a, short story anthology and a couple of things of mine I stand right now. Uh, Stephen King, I've never heard of him. He's the, uh, an author. Yeah, he's new. Yeah, you should check him out. <laughs> you might know him better as Richard Bachman. Oh, yeah, oh, no, yeah you Bachman go. books are great. <laughs> yeah, books are great. I know that. Um, <laughs> now, now, so uh, this is a, an off-the-cuff, but we have a lot of different types of guests, and we've had a lot of people that were... Um, let's say, on the conspiratorial side, like we haven't been to the moon, the earth is flat, um, there's uh, underground people living, uh, you know, a, a moon base, you know, you hear it all. Um, now, are you are you worried that you're going to get a lot of conspiratorial-type followers? Not worried. I mean, not unless they show up in my house, which might be a little freaky. It doesn't take them long, you know. As long as they buy the book. You know. <laughs> There's a map. I put a map on there, yeah. Yeah, well, no. Uh, and we'll give out your number at the end of the show. Uh, well, thank you. You're very kind. Uh, no, but uh, do you feel a strange um, sense of... This is a very weird time right now, and, mm -hmm. and people tend to be uh, downplaying science and they're they're more into um make believe right now there's more of a uh, that that type of a world do you worry about mm -hmm. being part of that in a sense or does it is it feel weird um with this going on in the world definitely there there are elements of it that have given me pause um and one aspect is you talked about the um the tracking software which i understand why there, there's the need for it, and, and I personally think it's a good idea for tracking and spreading of uh, the coronavirus and, and making sure that, look, if there's going to be there's someone that's sick, why not try to use something that's really already there in terms of technologies, just you know, do it writing actual software code for it to be able to track and make sure, and, hey, by the way, you passed, you know, you were in a room with this person, they are tested positive, you need to te get tested kind of thing. I personally think that is um, very smart. However, I do admit that that then made me remind me almost with my book to a degree of tracking and that kind of stuff. It's almost like is that the grandfather of what I kind of envisioned in my book. Um, so in a way, that part is a little eerie and it is uh, a little concerning. But at the same time, I'm certainly not going to um, not write write this story because of concern of, of how others might react. I hope in a positive way, and I hope in a way that does at least make people, you know, one, enjoy it, and two, maybe think a little bit in where things are going. Um, you know, another element of my book are, are drones, and then as I'm doing some research for the book, I mean, there are things that they're envisioning using drones for in wartime that I never would have thought about. I'm just. I just wonder. So, do you think some of these things that you write about, or even the whole overall concept, is something that might come true? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. And one one of the big things 
I keep saying one big face, but um, <laughs> I really wanted to make sure that this. <laughs> I'm noticing that I said like three times now. But um, people say yeah, that I'm about saying, me all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I thought so. So I wanted to make sure that the story was as plausible and as um, potential as possible. I've read a number of uh, stories, and I'm sure you and your listeners have as well, where, and nothing against the author per se, but you're reading a, a story and then suddenly there's a leap. There's a jump in either the story or the, the rules of the story or technology or something that the character, whatever, something that suddenly just knocks you out of the story and go, that, no, 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 that, that's not believable. I hate that. Yeah. I yeah. hate that with yeah. passion. Right, and I definitely because I lose the reader. And the other thing, as I was as I was writing the actual story, it's very fast paced because, especially more and more nowadays, talking about technology, I'm fighting for your attention. I'm fighting with the you know whatever's on TV, your you know Insta popping off, your Facebook covers liking your posts, whatever text you're getting, everything else, and I have to keep your attention because if you put me my book down, what are the odds you're going to pick it back up? Isn't that one of the functions of science fiction throughout history is to warn people about the dangers of technology? I mean, even if you look back to, like, mm-hmm. Godzilla and the attack of the 50-foot woman and things like that, those sci-fi movies in the 50s were warnings about nuclear power and then yep. it was moved on to the 70s and 80s. It became about computers and things. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a staple of science fiction. Yep, yep you're absolutely right. And, and so that's why... Uh, that also fit well with this story. Well, I have to say that you, you've you got to be an optimist if you think we're still going to be around in 2047. <laughs> so, I'm assuming there may be an hope, optimistic right? bent to your book as well. <laughs> there, there is, there is. And, and you know, that's, at the end of the day, you're you know, rooting for the character, but it all has to be earned. But um, I'm really really proud of where the story went and how it ended because I thought it was um, I thought it fit exactly when I first started playing the book that's not where I expected it to end but I was really proud of it and that's a good question you know I, I'm, I do some writing myself too and you know there's times when you, you plot out the story and you do it from beginning middle and end and you have your characters and everything and then once you start writing and especially once you start dealing with the characters who kind of take on a, a life of their own if, if you make them as much as you can a whole person. Does the mm-hmm. story change? Do you end up changing your ending or the outcome because of the way that the story is developed as you're writing it as opposed to a set uh, outline? It did change. Um, I will admit I, I'm a big outliner, and I outlined this, this book like crazy for over a year before I wrote it. Um, and partly to make sure that with the pacing and, and everything, but bigger uh, on a bigger level is because making sure that the, the mystery and the technology that I had, again, that I, I didn't want to have any spot where it's unearned or where I'm suddenly taking a leap that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I don't want a reader to go, well, what if they just did that? You know, almost like where uh, TV shows kind of seem to hark back to the eighties because they, Otherwise, the main characters would just have a cell phone, just be able to call the person and, and no more conflict because they would just know, of course, Jimmy, I'm, I'm here at the store yeah, kind of thing yeah. instead of make that to run around, right? So with my world where technology, you're so interconnected, 
had to be different. It had to be in a way that made it work. So to go back to your answer or your question, um, yes, the story changed many, many times. And I didn't really totally know at first where I wanted it to go in the end. I thought it was going to be just a single book. And it does have beginning, middle, and end. And the story ends. But it's mm-hmm. the analogy I use is, you know, at the end of The Matrix, where after Neil becomes the one and he beats the, the agent and, okay, great, he's now this amazing person. Well, then what? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of what with, yeah, right? So that's kind of with this one where it happens, the, the story, and it concludes, but then there was a very logical, natural, well, then what's, what's the next step from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind me asking you, uh, I just wanted to check on this. You were, you were saying earlier about how you were kind of inspired to write this because you were on the train and you saw the way that people weren't paying attention. They are absorbed in their computers, and you said, I could walk naked through this train. Um, yeah. there, there was an old episode of MASH where Hawkeye was complaining that everybody was so absorbed in things that he could walk through the camp naked and no one would notice. That's not something that you're going to try, or is that the story that's in the <laughs> Is there is just an anecdotal thing, or from experience? It's, tr- it's purely anecdotal. No. Okay. And, and my lawyer, my lawyer said to claim I never did. <laughs> yeah, that's no. good. Um, good. Yeah. Oh, but the the big question, the the probably the most important thing that everybody's been waiting for, uh, for me to ask and to get the answer, um, in uh, 2047. That's when this takes place, right? Um, yeah. Do, do, does the president still tweet? <laughs> <laughs> and is it as stupid as it is now? Like, is it? Just, uh, Hopefully, it's not the same. President. Like, it, no, it's a it's a funny question, but in in reality, so when you've moved things ahead thirty years, so obviously things are changing fast. You know how fast we got into yeah. Twitter and Facebook and all this. As fast as it right. comes, it goes. So in thirty years. Are they communicating with the same devices? Are they still twittering and all this stuff? Or how, have you developed some new sort of thing? Or have you, have, did you leave that out? Or how, how do you deal with that? So I focused this book kind of on a um, regional kind of area. It, it, it takes place in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And it's Dre and, and his world. And then, of course, sequel, it's, he started started things that it's going to then snowball from there. So some of those answers actually, not to say stay tuned, but stay tuned. You'll, you'll find out some of those in the future. But in general, in terms of the president, but in general, um, <laughs> it is uh, you you do communicate differently. And it's a much more entertaining, it's a much more intimate uh, conversation. Oh. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe much more private. How's that? Maybe more more private uh, way. You don't have to be broadcasting it so um, everyone knows. Oh. Um, now, I wonder, I ask a lot of people this lately, is, uh, with COVID-19 and the pandemic and all this stuff going on, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, so, so now that we've had this COVID pandemic come through in our lifetime, and um, this is all happening. Does that affect the way you write 
and how you write your story coming up, especially because, like, you know, this book is done, so I guess it's sort of the way it is. Right. But if you're doing a sequel and if you're continuing the story, um, does it change the way you're going to write the second story? That's a really good question. Um, the, the short answer is no. And one, one thing that is also a little freaky with, with my book is, and again, 2047, I mentioned how previous uh, pandemics had gone through. And I talked about the, um, you know, bird-related flus and the SARS-like and, and that kind of stuff. I, I mentioned that. Now, that's kind of a background. It's just a hint of, or it helps add to the way the world is in 2047. So I don't go into much detail, but I'll just, you know, kind of reread a little bit thinking, okay, that's a little freaky that I had that in there when in fact I've already, you know, it's, it's now happened. Wow. So now, did you write the book before the COVID event or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It actually came out um, just a couple months ago. Oh, so you're like, you're like that Sally Brown. You guessed it. I guessed yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you should start having readings and charge people money. I should. I need a crystal ball. Well, you don't even need that. Um, so, now, um, because we won't get into the details, I think people need to, to read it to find out um, how this, this goes. Um, how many are you going to do? And Is this going to be a series, or are you going to write... Um, a continuation to this? I'm, I'm currently working on the sequel right now. Um, I'm, it's all plotted out, planned out. I know what's going to happen. I'm really excited about it. Um, it is possibly a trilogy, but the more I'm kind of getting into it, it might end up being more than three. But the one, the reason why I don't know specifically the answer is I don't want to push it. I don't want it where, oh, okay, now this guy's just writing this book to putting the characters, they, you know, in some ridiculous scenario. So it's until the story is told, that's how many books it'll be. I have a question about the implications of your story. Um, you said in the beginning that because of the technology, no crime goes unsolved. And mm -hmm. how... You know, you would think that at a certain point, once people realize that everybody's getting arrested for all their crimes, that the crime would dry up. So how did you envision that, and what would be the other kinds of problems involved with having a no-crime society, and, and at what expense did they get there? So where where I saw it is, is kind of what you indicated, where people would kind of stop, because if, you can, if you're always going to get caught every single time before you almost make it out the door of, you know, house you're robbing or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you're going to stop. Now, of course, crimes of passion are always going to happen. Those, the ones that aren't premeditated, it, it happens. And yeah. those are always going to, you know, continue. Just that's the way mankind is. Um, but then I believe as a result, there's going to be more people that are going to be struggling um, that, you know, some that do, you know, uh, fight, lead, turn to crime in order to survive. Mm -hmm. People are going to then try other things, whether it's you know, trying to hustle people, whether it's being homeless, whether it's you know what they doing menial jobs, which of course is then going to be tough because in the future there's going to be more you know automation, so there's going to be fewer of low-paying jobs available. So there's going to be some tension there. Because mm -hmm. that's always the trade-off when it comes to trying to stop crime. You know how much of your rights are you willing to give up 
in exchange for living in a peaceful, crime-free society. And just because it's crime-free, that doesn't mean everyone is shiny, happy. There are no rain- you know, rainbows yeah. everywhere. Or, or peaceful, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. That's too bad. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, utopia is just a dream, right? Yeah. I just uh, Now, when we get into the research of something like this, of course you have to go and find out what's possible and what's not to make it realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But, uh, again, how, how do things that are influence things that are changing today uh, and and things we're going through today d- 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 does that in again is that going to influence your outcome and even in the next book I, i'm going to try not to have a direct um effect uh, one one thing um with the you know with the, the black lives love uh, black lives matter movement which i i completely support um my one of the things is just I, I feel in in the future that races and nationalities are just going to become more more blurred. There's going to be more um, mixing uh, of that, and I think that's just going to be a natural progression. And that's something I've I felt for a while. Again, look where look where we were 50 years ago versus now. There's more more mixing of of races, nationalities, more people living um, together or you know on the same street that have different beliefs and different. Um, cultures and everything else, and I, I think that's great. I think that's going to continue. And, so and technology, with my, yeah, and technology, and interweaving, and I think also as a indirect benefit or indirect result of technology is starting to get more of that blend that's of right. cultures and, and attitudes because you know you don't have different groups in completely different separated areas; they're all linked, you know, and more at the touch of a button you can you know experience different things you also the shared experiences are all they become more shared as a result so so do they actually in 2047 do they have a national holiday for trump i hope not (laughs) (laughs) but you know and that's what that's the thing is you know at at the end of the day you you know the saying the truth is stranger than fiction yeah. Some of the things that have occurred in the last you know, last year, if someone would have written a book, and, and I've had friends go, you know, man, if I wrote, you know, I could have better than anything I would have written a book. And my response has been, if you wrote this as a fiction book, people would go, no, there's no way it's going to happen. Yeah. You, know, you have to have, go back to like I was saying, where you, know, you have to have that element of belief. But some of the things that have, that have transpired... Um, I five years ago I would have laughed at you if you had said it would have happened. Well, yeah, and that's kind of the, the 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 strange thing about all of it. When you're, I mean, I I write in true crime and and things like that. So these are things that just sort of have happened. We we sort of right. you know you just take the evidence and write it. But when you create these stories, you're right. It has to be believable. Um, but it's crazy with the things that are happening in in the last years. It's almost um, like a really bad B movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's almost like uh, and a couple of friends of mine have, have referred to it as Jumanji. Okay, we're on the phase four of Jumanji, and we need to go out and someone needs to win the game so we can stop this madness. Yeah, there's something wrong. Like it just it wouldn't it would be like one of those really bad movies you'd see uh, late at night or on 
Netflix wouldn't have it. I, I no, just, Netflix wouldn't even do it. No, no. Uh, so it's, it's just really strange um, because that opens the door, and how conspiratorial and how much people believe nowadays is crazy. Um, so you just never know what's going to happen. Agreed. Yeah, oh. it gets to the point where if you know the, on the news, like, hey, this new thing, you know, uh, breaking news. Really? Is it going to be the same level as the rest of the craziness? Like you almost have to try really, really hard to make it on on the news nowadays. Yeah. Well, yeah. well it depends on what you do. <laughs> True. Yeah. Constantly breaking news. It's breaking my back. It's just. Um, so um, now you also, I, I want to talk about um, you as well. So what what are the things you've got going? I guess you have what this. Uh, uh, you're the founding member of a book pod? Correct. And so uh, which what's is that? A, yeah. So it is a group of writers, uh, professionals. We have uh, editors. We have a uh, award-winning filmmaker. Um, we have um, someone, our, our, uh, the one, Jen Brody, who um, you know, she's she's the one that um, is the main founder of it. Um, you know, she... Is working with Disney on a series of, of books, and she's been in Forbes and all that stuff. And, and we have people from really all around the world as well. And an interesting range from, you know, very literary um, to poets to um, action writers to um, and people writing um, screenplays. Um, that, uh, one of the writers for Grey's Anatomy is one of our members. Uh, so it's just a, a great range and a fantastic group, and, and we support each other. And then, hey, I, I have this contract for this work, and is the rate correct? And, and what do you think about this contract? And or do you have connections and and helping to support each other? Because also, especially as you guys know, you know, a writing can be very a very solitary endeavor, and to have a support group uh, really kind of helps at times. Mm-hmm. So, so do you guys have like? Um... Uh, cook pizza and babies on pizza and all that stuff like that. Guys, one of those elite elite groups out of Hollywood is that sort of <laughs> well um, some some do meet at times it depends on you know the city and also the event especially if someone you know, has a book release or you know a certain event hey they're gonna have a reading here and uh, there's one of the members that does the what is it the the, the drunken uh, the drunken master where um, you'll have people go to this event and, and these um, some not not A-list actors, but people that you may have seen like on a TV show or something like that will go there and have some drinks and read excerpts from uh, people's works and uh, it's pretty humorous kind of thing and have a fun evening. Um, people are involved with that, um, but then also it's mostly online because we're spread throughout. You know, even have a, co- a few people overseas. Um, most of them are um, in the LA area, but spread all over. Yeah, well, that's the primary place to be, right? Yeah, you right. notice he didn't deny the eating babies. Yeah, I know he didn't even bring that up. You know, they're honoring George Soros. Isn't that what the thing is? <laughs> well, yeah. Hillary Clinton's so special. She she tells you how she tells you what's, what light use light barbecue sauce because you want to taste the meat, not the heat. <laughs> Oh boy, I'll tell you, uh, this world's just yeah, crazy. Well, really um, now for you, uh, do you have like a website mm-hmm. or something that you want to give away, uh, or people come find you on, or do you stay 
hidden. <laughs> no, uh, I have a, a website, uh, MC Bland for Michael C. So MCBland.com. Um, and there you can learn about me, my novel. Um, and actually, uh, I was recently awarded a finalist in two categories with the uh, Indie Book Awards for uh, both science fiction and thriller. So you get some sci-fi and a lot of, as well as, like I said, it's fast-paced novel. Very proud of that. And you learn about me and, and uh, also time I pitched Columbia Pictures on one of my other stories. So that was it's a fun story. Hmm. Uh, let's check it out. Yeah. MC Bland, that sounds like a wrap. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's like MC Hammer just without the parachute pants. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe they're back in. You never know. You might have them. You, you know, I, well, I have a pair ready to uh, ready to go. <laughs> that. Now, now uh, so the price of safety, this would be, uh, I think, a fascinating. Uh, I could see this being on uh, Amazon Prime or, or Netflix as a, as a series even, right? This would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love that. If you know anybody, let me know. <laughs> I know people, but I none of them like me, so <laughs> <laughs> that, that wouldn't help. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I do my best. Um, what we're going to do is we'll have your website, we'll have your book, we'll have all the information up on ours as well, so people can do one click if they're listening, and they'll f- find pictures and everything about everything they want, and pick up your book and do it all, and that's pretty. It's pretty exciting. You know, um, oh. and and so you plan on Thanks. doing this for quite a while, like uh, doing more and more of the same. Or are you going to do stretch out and do some other types of writing, or where do you think? Um, uh, probably at least for now, uh, science fiction is, is there. That's that's uh, my love, and so that's what's going to be uh, my primary focus. But you never know; a uh, story could strike me, or opportunity to uh, you know, work on a, a series or a movie or something like that. And absolutely. Where, where did the story strike you? Were, were you really naked on a subway, or like where does it, like where did, does it come to you when you're sleeping? True crime book in that right there. Yeah, I yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, I'm actually on, I'm on the run. Yeah, it's weird. It comes to me at the weirdest times, and uh, a lot of times when I'm walking, I all you know would walk a lot going places and so that's really just where randomly out of the blue i'll start getting some idea and and a lot of times that's not a fully formed idea but it's an interesting thing and so then might tie into another thought that i had and so it starts to weave and grow which is you know kind of actually what with with this story you know after the the subway that was just kind of the the kernel and then started to build from there Hmm. that's where some of the best ideas come from observation yeah, observation, and then oh, someone will say something, and then someone else will, um, you know, mention something else and start to kind of grow. Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah. know, it's, it sounds really good. We, we um, totally recommend it. We'll have it up, and uh, and uh, thank you very much for uh, being on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been great. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.